This episode of a Quick Timeout podcast is presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. Dr. Dish machines are the most advanced shooting machines on the market. If you haven't already, join top programs like Duke, North Carolina, Baylor, Alabama, and countless others and upgrade to Dr. Dish. And now save an extra $300 on select models when you mention Quick Timeout podcast. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. Want to welcome to the podcast ESPN's National Director for Recruiting, Coach Paul Biancardi. Coach, great to have you on the show. Tony, thanks for having me. I appreciate Coach working with me to make this happen. This was no small feat given the time requirements of Coach Biancardi's job. Coach, do you ever get a break? I make my breaks, right? That's what you have to do. But, you know, you line up calls early in the morning. You watch film in the afternoon. You return emails and phone calls more in the afternoon. This time of the year, the NBA draft. Uh, takes priority, but there's also a new level of high school classes. The class of 2024, 25, and 26 are starting to, you know, emerge themselves into the summer circuit. So with that and the NBA draft, it, it's a busy time. The kids feel like they need to play the spring travel ball and the summer travel ball. Is the busy schedule good for the kids? It's important that they play, but a big part of training and improving and developing is resting. And nobody says that. Uh, that's why I wanted to say it, because you have to take time off away from the game, whether it's a day or a weekend, uh, because you can travel and play every single weekend. And they're starting earlier and earlier. I see sometimes at the end of March, you see uh, summer basketball tryouts, summer basketball events before it was April. Now it's creeping into March, uh, some even late February. Uh, they have practices. So by the time June or July hits, a lot of these kids are tired. They're, I don't want to say they're burnt out, but they're mentally tired from traveling and playing all the time. And I think there has to be a healthy balance between practicing, playing, and learning the game, maybe at a camp situation. I'm big on camps. I think they need to come back into the game. Uh, training is great, but a lot of kids are overtrained and under taught in the game a uh, long time ago, guys would play too much mm-hmm. and, and not train enough. So we've, the pendulum has went back and forth. Uh, I'd like to see kids practice more train of course, and play and have a healthy balance and work on their body in between. But resting is a big part of training. I get asked a lot of recruiting related questions by parents and coaches. And uh, with this being a podcast for coaches, I wanted to have coach on today for you to hear answers to some of those questions from probably the most qualified person in the country, the most qualified I consider in the country. So I'll start with, with the most common question. You talk to a lot of college coaches. What do you think is the most important thing for a high school player to do to improve their chances of being recruited or at least being considered by a school of being recruited? Well, first of all, you have to have the appropriate talent for that level. You and I were talking before the podcast. I mean, you're looking for certain talent at your division three level. So if if they don't have the talent that you are looking for, it doesn't matter what else they have. You're not going to recruit those players. A talent is, it's a given at every level. So if you're looking specifically at what coaches are looking at, first, it's the physical measurables. And this is no particular order, but they do look at physical measurables. And some coaches a more enamored and put more value on height, speed, length, wingspan, 
verticality, all those things than others. So you're blessed with certain physical measurables and you have a chance to develop your body over the course of time, which is very important because you want to be a well-conditioned athlete to play the game. Second is, is the skill level. And everyone talks about shooting. Well, it's not just somebody who takes a lot of shots. You have to become a shooter, which means that you have to have touch and efficiency from different areas on the court, in the paint, mid-range, three-point line, free-throw line. I can't tell you how many bad free-throw shooters I see uh, that want to be good players. So the skill of shooting is, is vital. It's probably the number one key, but coaches are looking for players that can shoot with efficiency. The game's all about percentages. If you, if you make three threes in a game, that's great, but if you took 15 of them, that's not good. So parents and players have to understand um, it's important to shoot the ball well, but at a clip of efficiency. And then you have to impact the game in other ways, which is easier in my mind than shooting the ball. How well can you defend the ball? How well can you be an off-ball defender? You can rebound as much as you want. Nobody takes you out of the game for rebounding too much. So I'd love to see kids assert themselves on both ends of the backboard and passing and ball handling part of the skill package, but you don't have to put the ball through the basket. The ability to break down your defender is huge again, but it's not about somebody who takes seven dribbles. It's about somebody who can get into the paint and two or three dribbles, passing the ball, the assist to turnover ratio, every game. I, I look at that as one of my first stats. And if you're not going to turn the ball over much, that's okay. Uh, but you need to have a couple of assists um, unless you're a, a, a dead eye shooter. So, Physical measurables, the skill of shooting from four different levels, uh, rebounding, defense on and off the ball, passing and ball handling to help your team flow on offense. But then there's also the intangibles. I like to call them the traits, the things that coaches look for that could be separating factors. And to me, it's, it's you know how competitive somebody is, how coachable they really are. Are they a caring teammate? And what's their body language? Uh, those are my top four out of many, many traits that I look for on the court. But I don't think kids understand that enough. They hear it. I'm not sure they're, that they're you know, paying attention saying, oh, yes, I, I'm competitive. I'm coachable. Well, if you're really competitive and you're really coachable and you're a great teammate and you have great body language, uh, again, that's going to be a separating factor when talent is equal. And, and, my, and my last thing is um, – the IQ for the game, way undervalued, way overlooked. You can, I, I can beat you in a five on five game with my mind versus my body. I mean, it's, a lot of kids are not great athletes. So why not beat them uh, with, with using your mind, knowing the proper closeout angles, you know, knowing, <clears throat> knowing how to defend a ball screen and where to go after the ball screen. That's just IQ, you know, how to come off a screen, how to space the floor. Um, where to be on a, a set play. I mean, you can really study the game uh, and learn the game and you have an advantage over your opponent, regardless of his height, wingspan or talent. Uh, I think basketball IQ is way undervalued. It takes zero talent to be a smart player. Anything practical come to mind for improving that IQ, especially here during the off season? Yeah, that, that's where I think the camps, Tony, is so important. Because what does a camp do? You put, you know, 50, 80 kids. You and I have coached at camps. We, I know we went to camps as players. 
get a large group of kids, you get a set of coaches, they teach you a drill. You break down to a basket, you learn that drill, you make your mistakes. That's how you develop IQ. You have to make mistakes. And in today's culture with the showcasing, the highlights and the, the fake word of exposure, everybody's afraid to make a mistake. And as soon as they do, uh, they, they can't function anymore. So camps to me are great. They're like the classroom. It's like you're a teacher. You're in the classroom. Kids have a chance to get reps at a basketball camp, learn the game, drill the game. Film. It's huge. Not only watching uh, opponents, but watch yourself. Here are your turnovers. Here's why. Here are your good plays. Here's why, both offensively and defensively. Will somebody spend the time as coaches to watch film with players? It's a great way to develop your basketball IQ. I think camps are a great way to develop your IQ. You have to play against live defense, and you have to see yourself against live defense to develop your instinct and basketball IQ. So those things in regards to today's college game, and you mentioned you're getting ready for the NBA draft as well. I know hardly anybody is listening to this going on to play NBA, but still like with modern, the modern game, you say shooting or you say IQ, drill down a little bit deeper. What should they be able to do within the way that the game is played today? Make a quick decision. And because of the training going on, and a lot of the training is very robotic, it's not against defense, it's constant repetition of the same thing, most things kids can't use in a game, and when they catch the basketball, they're totally lost. And the other thing about training that I've noticed is not very many people are teaching what to do before the catch. Hmm. So I see a lot of guys standing, and if you're standing in a basketball game, you're easy to cover. And it's going to be hard for you to score uh, in situations. So the the ability to outthink your opponent, back cut when you're overplayed, you know, make quick decisions, know where to be on the floor, understand spacing. Look, you can be a non-shooter and still keep spacing for your offense and help your offense flow. You, you can disguise guys if they know how to space the floor properly. you got guys that stand in the corner all game. That's not a basketball player. That's a statue in my mind, then you better be 40% from that right corner or left corner. And I think too many, too much is being put on shooting. Shooting is really important, but shooting off the catch, mm-hmm. right? Shooting off the move harder, shooting off the dribble, shooting off multiple dribbles, shooting close to the basket, shooting far away from the basket, coming off pin downs, flare screens, staggers, change of direction. That's what I consider shooting, not the guy who stands in the right corner and you know, waits for the ball to come to him. So I I think there's a lot of things that need to be taught in the game. um, And I don't know if there's enough time to teach everything. So, so to me, it's the IQ and the shooting are are the two biggest things to help you get recruited. A quick timeout is presented by Huddle, the market leader in video-based analysis solutions for basketball teams around the world. Huddle continues to make advancements to their suites of performance analysis solutions. Tools you know like Sports Code are enhanced by their industry-leading tech like Huddle Focus, an AI-powered smart camera that's built to integrate into Sports Code right out of the box. It captures and uploads videos automatically from any gym. Head over to huddle.com slash a quick timeout to get a peek at all they're bringing to the hardwood for every level of the game this season. Let me tell you about my new favorite pair of shoes, Kane Active Recovery Footwear. My family got me a pair of these for my birthday and I've hardly taken them off. These shoes are perfect for basketball coaches. 
Not only are they the lightest shoe I've ever worn, they're designed to specifically help feet and leg muscles recover, which is great for someone who's on his feet on the court as much as I am. To find out more about Kane Active Recovery Footwear, click the link in the description. You and your feet will be happy you did. I talked to several coaches, Division One coaches, that you would maybe not think would have this problem, um, but one in particular, and he said, we are having a hard time guarding the basketball. The guys that we're getting in, they, they just struggle to guard the basketball. Is that something that, that you see, and is there a solution to that? Yes and yes. Um, I talked about shooting and IQ. I mean, I think a lot of people echo, echo those words, but then the next way, if you want to make a team, how can you contribute? to winning without scoring defense is one of the easiest ways in fact it's it's one of the easiest ways to make a high school team it's one of the easiest ways to get playing time and i look at myself i was a division three walk-on walk-on means i wasn't recruited walk-on means they didn't want me or didn't know who i was and i knocked on the door and said let me in and they said well you can try out and after the third time, third time, I made the team. Division three, third time, finally made the team. My coach at the time was Tom Thibodeau, who's now the coach of the Knicks. He valued all the intangibles, all the traits. And then when it came to practice, it was only because I could defend or I had a great effort to defend. Not only defend the ball, be a weak side helper, take a charge, block out, all those dirty little things. Um, that you have to learn. So yes, defense can get you on a team. Defense can get you recruited. Defense can get you playing time. And um, it, it's just about learning it, the angles. It's a game of geometry. And, and it's also the ability to have the effort to do it. I mean, did I want to play defense every day? Of course not. Nobody really does. But I wanted to play. I wanted to play in practice. I didn't want to stand on the sidelines the whole time in practice. So it was like, okay, get in there and pick him up full court. The old zigzag, make that guy, you know, cough up the basketball, put pressure on the point guard, whatever the case may be, deny the ball to this guy. So yes, becoming a defender, a rebounder, uh, a facilitator, or an excellent ball handler are ways that you can make a team, get playing time and get recruited because you can help your team without scoring. And I think the basketball IQ, I think a lot of times when we mention IQ, people think the offensive side of the ball, but yeah. equally as important, the defensive side, like knowing where to be on a rotation. Like you said, taking away angles, that's that's IQ, like knowing how to move, how to beat a guy to a spot, that kind of thing. And yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of that comes through film. And you mentioned the film and how you're right now spending a lot of time with the film. So I want to ask, how would you suggest, I think this is a lost art being able to watch film and know what to look for and know what to look at and that kind of thing for kids or for coaches who are trying to help kids suggestions for watching film to improve IQ on both sides of the basketball. Yeah. Well, it's hard for a kid to watch film by himself and learn. Like we all need teachers, coaches, tutors, right? I wasn't doing well in biology in college. So what did I do? I got a tutor, you know, and she helped me get, understand biology a little bit better if I, I do I did it myself it wasn't working out very well so I think if you can get a coach or someone who can give you feedback on what you need to do better you know I watch a lot of film uh, almost every day and when I just I'll just look at a closeout and why did that guy get beat well you know he closed out too heavy too hard 
didn't didn't close out enough. Uh, didn't close out enough. Somebody shot the ball. You know, how do you close out right to the offensive player? Get your butt down. Get your hand up, and your foot placement correct. I mean, somebody needs to teach that so the player can learn it. Then he needs to see it. That's why I'm a big proponent of basketball camp. You know, I, I helped Jay Billis run his camp in Charlotte, and it's a wonderful camp. I think it's one of the best camps in the country. We go three days. We do individual work for footwork and shooting purposes. And then we do team defense and team offense in a three-on-three situation, four-on-four shell transition. And then we play five-on-five, of course. Uh, And we're big on on three-on-three because we we think we can teach the game, as you said, on both ends of the floor. Yeah, teaching defense, basketball IQ on the defensive end is huge. Um, You do that, I think, by drilling the game defensively. I do want to talk about recruiting school and we you and I were talking a little bit beforehand and a word that came up you mentioned it I already had it on my sheet here to talk to you about it how important is fit between the kid and the school itself oh it's everything I mean it's how to identify the right fit the right opportunity in recruiting people get swayed by what they hear that's natural that's normal when I watch an ad on tv to lose weight, I'm saying, all right, let me take a look at this. Sounds good. And if I wash with this particular soap for a month, maybe, you know, you can lose five pounds. Well, I'm the buyer. I have to decide whether or not that's real. I have to decide whether or not that product's going to work for me. So I have to, uh, I have to go through all the marketing and all the recruiting that we see on TV for ads and decide what's the best fit. Uh, And everybody wants to think sometimes that they're better than they are. You know, I I had a young man ask me, well, do you think I can play in the Big Ten? And he was getting recruited by a lot of different levels. I said, yes, you can play in the Big Ten, but I think your opportunity would be better in this conference, this other conference. And, of course, that other conference wasn't a, a major conference, but I thought he had the best opportunity for playing time, development. He would be more of a centerpiece of the program have an opportunity to be one of the the main five guys, maybe the main two or three guys. And in time, be first team all conference. It's hard to be first team all conference in any conference Mm -hmm. and maybe the player of the year, four years from now. And uh, when kids don't look at it that way, they, they immediately go to the top of the food chain. So I think they have to understand in recruiting it's not about where you want to go. It's about where your opportunity and fit is best. And you have to understand that versus just listen to what everything that sounds good, because everything's going to sound good. And then that's why we have uh, thousands of kids in the portal. Some kids are going in the portal for NIL reasons. Some kids are going in the portal for um, after graduating from college, graduate transfers. That's fine. But I'm talking about the one year or the kid who spent six months in high school, all of a sudden he's got to get out and he's going to a totally different level because he didn't do his due diligence and his family didn't, or his coaches didn't help him enough in the recruiting process. Yeah. I think it's human nature for us to bet on ourselves and maybe yeah, that- it is. And, and we should, but you have to be prepared for that level. Right. Um, you, you have to understand what the day-to-day is like. And I guess I have that advantage of coaching at all different levels. Mm -hmm. I know what the day-to-day is like at division three. You know what that's like. 
um, division two, division one, low major, mid major, high major. It's really hard. It's really competitive. And again, that young man could have played, but if you're playing eight to 10 minutes a game, if you're going to be happy with that and, and think you can squeeze out more great, but if you can get 25 to 35 minutes at school B and be one of the main threats, one of the main players, you may be happier. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's something that's something that I try to tell players. It's not that you can't play at this level. Like you said, it, you, you can be on a roster, you can, but what are you going to be satisfied with? What are you going to be content with? What's going to make you happy? And for some, we try to recruit kids that are going to be happy being the 14th, 15th player. You need kids like that, but not everybody's built like that to be that kid. And that's understandable, but those are the quote unquote consequences that you're going to have to live with. If, if you're going to choose to play at whatever level you're trying to aspire to be at. And just think about this quickly. We can hit another topic. Everybody, you and I, and every kid we know in the game wanted to be an NBA player. They're adding three two-way contracts to every, every NBA roster. You're looking at a major college basketball player who is a second round pick, maybe, or a free agent. They become a two-way player. Are they an NBA player? Absolutely. They're, they're one of the 1% in the world. But if they went to Europe or if they stayed in college another year, they could have been a bigger factor in the game yeah. or made more money in Europe, played a bigger role. But everybody wants that NBA tag that whether it's the life or, or the you know, the, the tag that goes along with being an NBA player. I get it, but I can tell you there's a lot of unhappy guys in the NBA. And, mm. and that's why they go to play, you know, in the high level divisions in Europe. And some guys aren't leaving colleges quickly this year. Uh, Hunter Dickinson, Amando Baycott. Um, I'm sure there's many more I'm missing right now. Caleb Love. They need to polish their game up to be a better NBA player. Uh, they also can be the stars of their respective college teams. Maybe Oscar Shibwe, see what he's going to do. So you, you got to go where you fit best and you got to go when you're ready. You can't go too early. You mentioned the transfer portal from the perspective, not just of the players, but of the, the coaches and the programs themselves. What has that portal done to both the recruitment of high school players and then also for just the programs, the college programs themselves? Well, it's hurt the high school player, and everybody knows that, or and they're feeling the effect of it. And it's not just the portal. It's also COVID eligibility. Guys can come back. If, if your player doesn't tell you whether or not he's going to come back until April or May, it's hard for you to offer another roster spot that late going into the September. Um, and, and kids don't know if they want to come back or if they're going to go somewhere else. So as, as a basketball coach, you're in a little bit of a limbo in terms of, you know, do I recruit more? Uh, is my player going to come back for his COVID eligibility? Is he going to transfer? And uh, for the high school player, they're getting squeezed out and squeezed down. Mm -hmm. and, and that's normal because if I'm a college coach, I want to take a proven player who's been in the system for a year or two, maybe needs a new voice. Uh, maybe his coach got let go. Maybe Maybe it wasn't a good fit to begin with. And maybe my situation is a better fit. Again, coaches got to do due diligence on that. They really got to vet out why somebody's leaving and how they can fit talent-wise and character-wise. Mm -hmm. But so the high school player doesn't get recruited as hard unless you're one of the top 100 
200 players in the country. And every year out of high school to college, and we talked about this, there's roughly a thousand kids that go division one. That's 1% of the senior class. That's, that's a special group. It doesn't matter what level of division one. Um, so only so many guys that go in division one every year. And then that, that filters down to division two, three. And if I can get somebody who's transferred and has played the game and has, has, is a proven player as a coach, I may need to have a good year this year. My contract may be up. And so I'm going to take you who's played over two years of college ball to help me this year. Uh, versus the high school kid. But me personally, if I had multiple years of my contract, I'm still going to build a relationship with high school coach, high school players. And I still want a majority of my team to be high school players, but everybody looks at it differently. Yeah, I was going to ask you that next. You coached college and outside of the, the portal and high school recruiting, that kind of thing, but also NIL as well. W- what would you do differently or how would you approach things differently in regards to building and maintaining a program? Well, different levels of college basketball, the NIL is a factor and it, some it's not. Um, but what happens is when kids are unhappy at a higher level, um, NIL wise, and they're not receiving any compensation, they'll look to transfer down a level because they'll want to play. They'll realize that, hey, you know what? I'm not making the money that I thought I would. By the way, NIL, at probably 5 or 10% of those kids are making significant money, uh, and that may be a high number. But a lot of kids want to play. Um, so the way I would do it is I would still recruit high school kids, still build a relationship. I w- you have to make your program bigger than just basketball. So it has to be about their academics and their character. You better have a plan for your players. Like this is our academic plan for you based on what you've told us. And and when you're done here academically, this is our alumni base. And so we have a plan for you to graduate. We're going to help you with tutors, small study groups. You know, we're going to hold your hand almost every step of the way until you finish. And then we're going to unleash you to our alumni base because eventually you're going to have to find a job in this world. And you mentioned it to me. It's not who you know, it's who knows you. And a lot of people know athletes. And so if you graduate from this school, I think that you'll have a great opportunity later on in life. Character wise, I would do so much more to build up a young man's um, values uh, and make them better servers in the community to teach them how to be a better man. I know when I was coaching, we did those things, but we didn't do them enough. You know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, holidays, uh, disasters. Uh, you know, we, we rallied our kids and, and had them serve other people. Now it's got to be a way of life to like, this is how you're a better man. This is how you're a better neighbor. Uh, and, and this is how you're going to be a better husband and, and father someday. If you do those things and a kid leaves you, that's fine. But he'll know and his family knows that you've tried to build him academically and personally along with the basketball and if you can make the situation really great, I think less kids will leave you. Some kids will, but I think less will leave. All right. I got a couple one-offs here at the end. What should these younger coaches know about Rick Majerus? He likes to eat. <laughs> I love to eat. Coach love to eat. I mean, I was full before we even had the main course. I mean, we had, you know, we had appetizers. And then for some reason, salads after appetizers. I don't know why we had salads. 
But uh, I got a great Rick Majera story, if you got a second. That was my next question. Give us your best Rick Majera story. Well, there's so many. We don't have time for the, the best. It, like, everyone is almost the best. But <laughs> every day you had, to, you had to take a day off from practice, right? You can only go six days a week. So whatever day we w- would have off at St. Louis, uh, coach would say, okay, we're going to meet at 12 o'clock for lunch. And he used to love to go to the Italian district in St. Louis. So you did as much work as you could, because then when you got there at 12 o'clock, it was a working lunch. So again, it, and he, he was methodically slow with his eating. Okay. And you never had a chance to really order too much because he ordered everything and, and everything was great. So we're having a working lunch and we're going through the different courses. He's taking phone calls and while he's taking phone calls, we're making calls and, you know, we have our day planners and we're working on our own personal things for the program while he takes a call. And then we go back to talking about our program. So th- this would last till about three thirty, four o'clock. Then dessert would come. So now you're eating cannolis, you're eating limoncello, you know, you've got all these pastries and coffee. So now it's 4.30. And I'll never forget it one time. It's like 4.30. It was a four and a half hour working lunch. And he paused and he stopped and he said, hey, guys, it's almost five o'clock. Let's go to Lorenzo's down the street for dinner. Now, we just had a four and a half hour working lunch. And he wanted to go to dinner at five o'clock at another Italian restaurant. And I was with Porter Moser and and Al Jensen and A.T. Thorpe. and some of us had children. It's like, coach, you know, we got to get home here. It's our day off. We, we've worked most of the day. And so, but, you know, he'd want to go for dinner right after lunch. And and I can tell you my clothes didn't fit very well at the end of the season. <laughs> That's great. That's great. All right. Last thing, uh, the draft's coming up. You mentioned spending a lot of time with that. And I, I wanted to ask you about uh, Wimben Yama and in particular, the pairing that he will most likely have now with Greg Popovich. What will that do for him? And uh, how fortunate was that, that the Spurs were who he's most likely going to end up with? Yeah. I mean, I I think it was a great fit. That was the team that I thought, or the organization I thought would be best for him. You know, he needs to develop rapidly at the same time. Everyone needs patience, right? So it's that, it's that blend of, okay, he's got to make progress. Uh, Cause we, we need to turn this franchise around. He'll help us win games. We have to help him develop as an NBA player, as an NBA person, because there's a lot of traps with being an NBA player, a lot of traps. And that's a whole conversation for another time. So they have to guide him off the court on the court and, and in game situation. And, and he'll impact um, right away and he'll have his ups and he'll have his downs. But I think Greg Popovich because he had the Tim Duncans of the world and the David Robinsons and a veteran coach, a hall of fame coach. I think he'll understand how to develop the person and the player. And I think the NBA is, is going to be very exciting next year with him in it. Uh, but expect him to have some rough games and some rough nights. And, you know, the NBA is a very unforgiving league. Uh, teams are not going to just allow him to do what he wants to do on the court. And, and we talked about IQ earlier in the podcast, He's got to develop a basketball IQ for the NBA. And that, that that sometimes takes multiple years. Although he's a very smart player, I had a chance to interview him in France last August. Uh, it was the first time that he interviewed on an ESPN platform. I watched him work out in France. We interviewed him, articulate, very smart off the court, knows who he is as a basketball player. 
uh, understands where he needs to grow in the game, uh, he's going to be everything that people are writing about. Do you have two to three guys, guys that you watched come up through things you've done there with recruiting now entering the draft, but two, three guys you'd say keep an eye on? Yeah, obviously Brandon Miller is going to be a top two or three pick. He's everything the NBA is looking for. He's 6'9". He's a pure shooter. He scores it with versatility. It's not just a three-point line shooter. He's a mid-range shooter. Uh, he can finish at the rim, though he needs strength and balance to, to be better at the basket. And he's a playmaker at 6'9". So he's a guy who excites me. I hope the Hornets take him at number two. Um, uh, Jalen Huchafino, you know, he just missed the McDonald's game as a senior in high school. And he had a great year at Indiana. Nobody projected him to be a first-round pick, certainly not a lottery pick. He's going to be a lottery pick uh, in the June draft. He is a self-developed player, although obviously the coaching staff at Indiana did a wonderful job putting him in the right position, and he did his work. Uh, Mike Woodson did a fabulous job with the Hoosiers. And, and Huchafino, a little bit better shooter than he was in high school, driver, facilitator, defender. Um, and he made himself into a lottery pick with the, with the help of the Hoosiers. Uh, let's, let's stay in North Carolina, Noah Clowney. Hmm. I mean, he was an ESPN top 100 prospect, which means you have a chance uh, to be in the draft and be in the NBA someday. Uh, nobody saw this coming, that he was going to be a first-round pick. Noah Clowney is right outside the, um, the lottery. Size, versatility, scoring ability, and a high basketball IQ. Uh, the NBA is is really uh, high on Noah Clowney, so a young man out of Dorman High School. Great stuff. That's Coach Paul Biancardi, Director of Recruiting for ESPN. Really appreciate you coming on the show, Coach. All right, Tony. Thanks so much.